You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommy Well Muslim Podcast. This is Usma Jaffrey. And this is Seba Hassan. Um, I like the blue hijab today, Usma. Like, what? what it's kind of like colorful. Tell me about it because normally you wear your. <laughs> Black. Your black one, black. or it's like the black with the stars, like your 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 constellation one. But where's the blue coming from? I love it. I'm bringing it today because I know that you like the colors and you like me to change it up and mix and match. Plus, I have to make a bunch of videos, so I figured, okay. So you're like, colors, I might as well kill two birds with one. Exactly. So. And here I am, like. Literally, I just ate my lunch, wiped off my my lipstick, and I was like, oh, I forgot I had lipstick on today. Oh, well, I look a hot mess, but that's okay. I think it's good. So tell me how your week week has been. Oh, my God. You know, we, um, for people that don't know, we got uh, COVID for the fourth time um, this month. (laughs) And... Uh, my husband is still kind of dealing with some of the um, remnants of it. And of course, I think with me, when COVID hits me all four times, I always get the the extreme fatigue. Like I get bouts of energy and then I just like keel over. And yesterday was one of those keel over days where I literally slept 12 hours and, and no, not a joke. You know, did a little bit of my stuff. And then I'm like, I'm just going to sit here for a little bit, fell asleep, woke back up, made lunch. I think it was like lunch or dinner. I don't even know what time of the day it was. Made a meal. Fell back, <laughs> fell, fell back asleep, woke up, and then fell asleep while watching the whatever football things that my boys were watching. Like, it, I woke up and I was like surrounded by my boys watching football. And they're like, oh, you're night? finally awake. This was last night. Oh I my God, last so... night's game, you missed it? I feel so bad I, I I missed it. I missed it. I have two that are, um, they call themselves bandwagon Bengals fans. So, yes. and they admit they were bandwagons, Bango fans. I just could care less. Um, you know, my I, if it's basketball, I'll pay attention. If it's football, no thank you. Plus but COVID. I just fell asleep. And, you know, even today I'm thinking, ooh, right after this, I might take a nap. And back in the old days... I used to fight the urge to nap and then like power through it. And now I have to say, I listen to my body and I Mm -hmm. sleep when I have to sleep. And I definitely appreciate that. But what about you? I hope you're at least been healthy and COVID free. By the way, I have gotten, I like, I got boosted and I'm vaccinated and all that. So I'm not even one of these anti-vax. I just keep getting the COVID vaccine, the, the COVID illness. Mm. I, I don't know how you've survived so long with so many bouts of it. Cause I had one and that was good enough for me for a lifetime because yeah, that fatigue is overwhelming fatigue. It's like pregnancy fatigue times. I would say at least five or six yeah. was my experience. And you feel like, like you have jet lag. Sink into bed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it's and like your, your body excuses. cannot expect, like you cannot you can't control it. All no. of a sudden you're awake and then you're asleep. And it's just, it's so overwhelming. You can drink the coffee and fall immediately to sleep. Like it does, oh, yes. the caffeine does nothing for it. Um, and like you have at least the excuse for COVID. For me, I'm having the opposite issue where I'm completely healthy, mashallah. But it's like, I find myself needing to sleep more. Like granted, I'm staying up late with my daughter 
because I am educating her in all things Bollywood right now as we prepare for a family (laughs) wedding and showing her the classics because we did a ban on like Bollywood for a really long time and I did not want my kids to fall into it. And I love hearing her 11 year old self saying, well, that's absolutely ridiculous. Like who would believe that? And I'm like, oh my God, I used to. You're so much smarter than me. I'm so, so glad. <laughs> Aren't they? They're, they really are smarter than they're us brilliant. in so many She's ways. Like, what is with this overacting and unnecessary drama? Why do they do this? And she's like, how come every story is the same? I'm like, thank you for realizing this, like probably a decade before I did, <laughs> a couple of decades before I did. So I, I, I really love it. But that's not the story for, that I had today because I have been sitting on the story for months waiting for February. Why? I'm nervous. Because it's a special story. It's the story Ooh. of how my housekeepers one day were cleaning under the bed. And they decided to pull out everything that was under the bed and throw it all in the trash except for this one box. That was very clearly indicated what was inside, not only pictorially, but also with a word. And granted, they are Spanish speaking, but they understand English. And the word for what this device does is the same word in Spanish, practically. And they decided to put it on top of my bed for my children to see. I was gone to work, so I didn't know what happened until I came home and I saw it. Am I just missing something? I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, it was a private toy. Okay. Oh, my God. I I should have suspected from you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It was a private toy to be used. And by the way, this entire series has the explicit graphic detail warning. So don't be listening to this in the car. So private toy that I don't even know how my curious children did not even go to the bed. They didn't open the box. They didn't look through. I came home and like swept that into wherever its new hiding place is right now, but I was mortified and so, so upset and thought, this is a story I will have to share in February about safe storage for your things to maximize privacy and to have the discussions with other adults in the house who may be coming through, whether it's temporarily or permanently, like, this is what's appropriate to put out. And, you know, was this a joke? Like, I don't know. Like, I still don't know. (laughs) Um, But my son was looking for a laptop. This is before we got him his computer last Eid or whatever. So in any case, he went hunting for it again in my bedroom and then complained to me about having to hunt in my bedroom. And he's like, you know, and I look everywhere in your bedroom because you hide my laptop from me and I needed to communicate with my friends and you don't want me to communicate. And then I end up finding inappropriate things. And I was like, inappropriate things. So here's a kid who knows the word, knows the device, knows Mm -hmm. that it's not appropriate for him. And so we had that discussion and we did end up talking about like, what are the appropriate uses and what are the appropriate uses for a device like that? He's like, I don't want to have this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, He's like, can we please stop? (laughs) But I got in about three to five minutes of education before he shut me out and was like, no, no, we're not doing this. But you know, take every opportunity as it is. I have another story for next week. So they're all learning and, and just so you know, Osman will have all the stories for this month. <laughs> and I am very thankful for that because I'm the biggest prude of the two of us. But, you know, as we're saying, we're continuing our journey through this month of love. We're going to show some love to one of our most integral parts. I can't even say it. Is it integral? Integral? I can't speak English. Apparently, most integral. In- integral. I say integral, I like integral but, but integral. I integral. Integral. Yeah. Most. Yeah. I don't know if that's a Chicago thing or what. Like most integral part of the female anatomy to all of humanity 
our womb. Traditionally, when we say that, we're talking about our magical uterus, which we love here at Mommy Well Muslim. Our guest, Chantel Blake, is a womb wellness educator and a womb steaming therapist with a professional background in nursing and environmental engineering. We're going to have to talk with her a little bit about that combination later, but she helps women break the cycles of painful periods and hormonal chaos, prepare for a healthy conception, recover after birth, and raise daughters who love their periods through the tools of the body literacy, cycle syncing, and traditional self-care. And I need all of the above. Welcome, Chantel, and thank you for joining us on Mommy Well Muslim. Thank you for having me today. Um, Chantel, we like to kick off the podcast by having our guests share a little bit about their mom storing and their momming philosophy. So whatever you're comfortable sharing about your kids. Okay. So my mom's story is, and as like how I was mothered, possibly. Yeah. So um, my mom, so I was raised in New York City to um, Jamaican immigrants. My, my parents migrated from Jamaica to the US in the 70s, and I'm the first of their children to be born in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say my, my mom was definitely a strong woman of faith. I was raised by a very devout practicing Christian mother and Christian household. And, um, and even though I'm Muslim now, I learned the power of prayer from my mom. Um, I have very vivid memories of her really interacting with God through prayer, like the car wouldn't start and she would pray and then we would be able to drive off to school or we would be snowed in and we couldn't go to church. And so we would have um, a service in our own home. And so my early memories and some things that really stick with me is that my mom was, um, she taught me Um, that God is real and that prayer is um, how we communicate to God. And that's something that stuck with me and in how I mother now, well, I'm mothering Muslims, but still trying to instill that, that love and that sense that prayer is real. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not just this thing you have to do. It's this thing that you get to do. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this opportunity to, to commune with your Lord. Um, And another thing that I really try to practice in our household is is really just treating my children like they are whole human beings that are learning and be a guide treat them how I want to be treated um, you know nonviolent communication and um, peaceful parenting as much as possible and and um, and also not being afraid to apologize so my parents my culture Caribbean culture mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of parents apologizing to mm-hmm. kids when they've done wrong. And I apologize a lot <laughs> and very openly. And so I hope that they can see me as a guide, but they also see me as a human. That's also learning with them. That sounds like all the things that we wish we'd had growing up. So I feel like every generation, I saw this post recently. Did I even save it? I don't know if I saved it, but it was um, for every generation that is doing something actively to um, treat people better, treat their children better, that is a result of trauma. And, you know, it's not Mm. like our parents intentionally traumatized Mm -hmm. us, but there were things that we needed that they didn't know how to do. But we're, uh, I'm trying to look for it too. I don't see it. Um, (laughs) But um, 
the things that we're trying to do is a result of those things that we needed when we were children. And I wish I had the meme to share. I'll have to look it up and post it on our Instagram because it was just so meaningful. It's like, yeah, bingo. There was a big bandaid on it to go with it too. So mm. like, yes, we all yeah. need that. And it's, so, I think especially as it relates to our conversation today in my household, we did not have open conversations about periods, about sex, mm-hmm. um, nothing of that nature. My mom, her mother had migrated to the U S while she was still at, adolescent so she was for a portion of her life she was brought up by her elder sister and like a housekeeper this was very common in in that time Um, my grandparents had already been in the U.S. and so I'm assuming that those conversations were not happening for her and so naturally for me she didn't already have that reflex to open that conversation. Um, So one thing that I'm also consciously doing very differently is having very open, transparent conversations with my eldest daughter, with all my children, but my daughter is my eldest and um, she hasn't started her period yet, but we've already talked about it. We can engage and have a conversation that's very open about it. And and she's looking forward to it, which is so different from... (laughs) from me. It's so it's so funny. My daughter, we had the same conversation, but she definitely was not looking forward to it. So kudos to you. I must have done something wrong. But I just wanted to touch upon the fact that your mom was Christian, but you learned the power of prayer as a Muslim mom through her and having this a similar situation where my mom was born Catholic, actually, and ultimately converting to Islam. Like there are certain things that transcend religion, right? And your connection to God should be one of them. So I love that you were able to 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 share that with our audience today, because that is something I I, I, I love talking about. Um, and I love putting forward because we all are ultimately praying to the same God, um, regardless of what your religion is. So thank you so much, Chantel, for being so open about it. But, you know, just from your bio and your introduction, I'm I'm looking at like environmental engineering to wombs. Yeah, how do we make that leap? And how did that happen? And please fill in the gaps for all of us that are curious about that. Okay, I'll, I'll try to see. It's all one thread for me, but I can see it needs some explanation. So my mom is a nurse. Well, she teaches nursing. She's a professor now. But growing up, I saw my mom as a nurse and she helps people. And maybe I watched one too many Saturday morning infomercials. I was like, (laughs) all the people in the developing world, like, you know, these medical missions and help the children and UNICEF. And so I had in my mind that I'm going to be like a missionary doctor. I'm going to serve people through medical care around the world, right? Because there's so many impoverished nations and I can help. And so I wanted to also be like my mom. And so I kind of entered nursing. I went to a vocational high school. So I actually studied nursing while I was in high school. And I was an LPN throughout my college years. So I got to med, I got to undergrad as a pre-med student, but then when I got to university, I was like, wait, hold on. My whole world expanded. I realized that all of these simple problems were a lot more complicated and intricate, and there were a lot more political and economic factors kind of in the behind the scenes of what I understood the world to be like and inequity and poverty was was a lot more nuanced than I thought from the infomercials Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, and one thing that I learned and it really just weighed so heavily on my heart was the fact that so many people don't have safe drinking water so I'm like the world you know I'm sure there's doctors all over the planet like 
people need water more than they need. Like, how can you have health, vibrant health without clean water? How can doctors practice without safe drinking water? And so it used to keep me up on all night and I'd be like, God, what are we going to do about this? <laughs> like, we need to do something. People need clean water. And I started looking at other fields to... Um, that would address this issue. And I came upon environmental engineering and no part of me wanted to be an engineer, but it just kept tugging on me. And so I changed my major from pre-med to civil and environmental engineering. I finished my undergrad and my graduate degree. And then I went on to work for a woman owned um, engineering firm. And at some point I got married, I became a mom and I was like, oh, if I really want to change the world, like mothering, like you're literally birthing the future. Yeah, I have goosebumps, literal goosebumps. Because that's what we say here all the time. We are the mothers of the next generation. We're the mothers of the future, people. Yes, yes. I mean, I was, you know, very involved in activism and in picketing and protesting throughout my college days. And then when I became a mom, it was like, this is it. These, Mm -hmm. you know, these are the people that are going to, that we leave behind and they're, we're, we're grooming them to be better citizens, compassionate citizens, loving people, um, you know, faith-centered people. Like this is activism in practice. Like it doesn't get any realer than this. I'm about to cry just you saying that because I, a hundred, that is like my mantra in the everyday. You're only as good as the legacy you leave behind and the legacy you leave behind are the people that you, like, I was like, I, I kind of created a village of crazies and those are my crazies, <laughs> but my hopes is that they'll be able to, you know, move forward and just make the world a little bit better. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't take motherhood as seriously as we should. And we don't give moms the, the, the power and the authority and, and the, the support that they need to do that hard work. And to your point, it is a form of activism on, on mm-hmm. some level. So I absolutely love that you share that with us as well. I love in the beginning how you were talking about, you're going to talk about your mothering, how you were mothered and that as mothers, we all need mothering. That's kind of what your work in environmental engineering through your children has now brought you to is mothering mothers. And that is like our love language here mm-hmm. because we know like, you know, our, those of us who have immigrant mothers, like they left that village yeah. environment. They left all their mothers of the community over there and there's nobody to do that for them. And that's why, you know, a lot of their trauma got passed on to their future, which is us. So it's so critical for us to mother mothers here at the podcast. That's what we try to do through the podcast, through any Mm. events like our retreats that we throw, through any of the articles that we write out there, (laughs) you know, through our website, through our newsletters, all of it. Like we're trying to mother other mothers, Mm -hmm. even if they're like kicking and screaming, we're like dragging them to be mothers. We're like, no, you have to. Like you need this. You don't understand. Let us tell you. So I love it. And on that note, we have been getting messages for probably, what do you say, like a year, year and mm-hmm. a half about, hey, can you talk about womb steaming? Yes. Because and we had, honestly, steaming? I We're had like, never heard of it before. What is womb so, steaming? yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a thing. So tell yeah. us what that is, Chantal. So it's also known as vaginal steaming, yoni steaming, pelvic steaming. It sounds like a new, it's a new thing. Its popularity is new, but it's really the oldest form of 
pre-gynecology that we've had. You know, if you trace any medical text, whether it's a historic medical text in Egypt, in Italy, um, around the world internationally, our oldest medical texts mention steaming. Sometimes they refer to refer to it as fumigation, which has a very negative connotation. I know. I know. Totally misuse that word now, but the original intent was. (laughs) Yeah. So, so fumigation, steaming, dry steaming, whether it's with dry heat or moist heat, this is how reproductive health challenges were addressed historically for millennia. Um, It sounds very weird and new to people, but it's really our oldest form of women's medicine. And there's a history of it on every inhabited continent. So we can't say it's an Asian thing or it's an Mm. African thing. It has European roots. It has indigenous roots all over the world. And where we see the practice of womb steaming or vaginal steaming still active are tend to be countries where the midwife lineage is really strong, like the like the traditional lay midwife, not the medical midwife model. When we see that kind of apprentice lay midwifery model, um, that's always been their tool. The, The most universal way to use steaming internationally is after birth. Um, so women would women would give birth and um, herbs would be prepared for them to sit over to help clear out any um, pregnancy matter, clear out lochia, Ooh. help to tone and um, close up the vaginal canal. Um, it's had so many benefits um, and still continues to. So that's the, the way that we see it most in practice, most continuously around the world. However, we also see records that in some countries, steaming was used when women had fertility challenges mm-hmm. or had infections. Um, if they were you know, dealing with a particular issue, steaming was an extension of herbal medicine. I think that's what's really important. If we know that herbal medicine is our original medicine, plant medicine, right? Um, Steaming was just another modality. So I can drink the herbs, I can topically apply herbs, Mm. I can sit over the steam of herbs, and then we know the medical, um, like, benefit of steam, how we use it in hammams and saunas, we know that steam increases circulation, it clears congestion, and the womb can use that too. So um, it's not as new as it may sound. It's just we haven't used it continuously in all of our cultures. It's one of those things that's about to get culturally appropriated. So everybody be on the already. Oh, already, already is. Already is. We're going to make this political, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sorry, can't help it. Had to she can't that. help herself sometimes. But you know, I, I have to say, like, I, I could have used used some of that. Like, you know, it. Like to your point, like after you give birth, you have you they the nurses give you that little squeeze bottle, and you're like, really, this is Where's a lota, exactly, people. Lota? Like, you know, and we call it a logo, which is the watering can for those that don't know. So like, obviously there are some things that are rooted in history that have gotten changed and shifted. And um, maybe we need to go back to this womb steaming. And maybe this is something that not to blast her out, but we were talking before we started recording, I might have to do that with somebody else that I know. um, And we'll have to go from there. However, you know, um, when you consider womb steamings, what are some of the contraindications of that? And for those of you of people that are like myself that just learned of the word contraindications, I sound super smart right now. What, first of all, what is a contraindication and what is a contraindication in the realm of womb steaming? Okay, so a contraindication would be what situation where, what situations 
um, would you avoid womb steaming? Oh, okay. Or where or where it would not be beneficial, or it might be in competition, or kind of um, it might counter another desired effect. Um, so we definitely never encourage steaming while menstruating. Oh, okay. Right. If you're already having an active bleed, you're menstruating, then we wouldn't want to add warmth and steam because that can increase blood flow. Right? Oh, that's true. Um, anytime we introduce warmth, we are, we're dilating vessels and we wouldn't want to do that when your vessels are already open and you're already releasing. Um, so that would be a contraindication. Another contraindication would be um, if you're pregnant. Mm. Right. So during pregnancy, steam and heat by its nature opens and we wouldn't want to open the cervix prematurely. However, um, we do have practitioners who teach doctors and nurses and midwives how to use steaming at the end of pregnancy and even in labor Mm. to help to help keep the tempo of labor along. So in the Czech Republic, we have a practitioner, one of my colleagues who's trained dozens of hospitals there where they're actually steaming in the hospitals. A mom comes in, her labor is stalling or she's only at one to two centimeters dilated. It helps with that. It helps her to relax. Um, it helps increase circulation. It helps to soften the cervix. And they're finding that there's a lower incidence of tears mm. with vaginal births. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So um, so that's uh, so during pregnancy, we wouldn't steam. But at the end of pregnancy, when you're already full term, we do find that it can be really supportive for a mom who's getting tense in labor. She's stalling, um, not making progress. Uh, so that's a, a caveat to the pregnancy contraindication. And then the other situations would kind of be um, sensitive cases. So, for example, if a woman has an IUD in right? Mm-hmm. An intrauterine device. If you don't want to risk the chance of it coming out of place or dislodging, because again, once you start introducing warmth and moisture, tissues start to soften, things start to expand. So in that case, we would really limit how much steam she um, would be exposed to. It definitely would be like a modified shorter steam session. Um, if someone is experiencing an active infection, Mm. then that that would also be a case where we would also modify, like make sure we're not introducing too much heat or certain types of herbs. If, you know, those are cases where we kind of have to really manage how steaming is done. Um, So those are the main contraindications when you're on your period actively bleeding or if you're pregnant. But then when you're mentioning the postpartum use of womb steaming, I mean, that's also Mm. a situation where your bleeding and dilation might be contraindicated. So how many days do you have to wait postpartum before you attempt to do that? Well, we wait until the, well, we uh, teach that you wait until the uterine arteries have closed. So once you start to see that bleeding decreasing, lochia is very different from menstrual blood. So we can steam while that lochia is clearing out. It helps it to clear out very quickly. It helps to reduce risk of infection in case something gets retained. Mm -hmm. It actually is amazing at, um, knocking out those postpartum cramps, which I experienced Mm. myself. Do you know that intense uterine cramping after giving birth, Mm -hmm. a steam session significantly reduces that cramping that you experience. So um, as long as we, the doctors or midwives, or or is it evident that the bleeding is starting to decrease, then we know the uterine artery is closed, there's no risk for hemorrhage, and then we can introduce steaming at that point. So like that horrible cramping that you have, while nursing, you could be nursing over the steam. Oh, mm-hmm. that would have mm-hmm. been so helpful at the time because those cramps made me cry more than labor did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That one? 
Yeah. So aside from womb steaming, thank you, by the way, for elucidating mm-hmm. on that and clarifying that. So um, just so that everybody knows, none of this is medical advice. So if you want to talk to your doctor about, hey, do you know any womb steaming specialists in town or any practitioners, typically you might they might refer you to the School of Naturopathic Medicine this, that is mm-hmm. closest to you or Holistic Medicine Institute. So you'll go there. Just let your doctor know you're doing it so they're not like, hey, why is her vulva so much plumper than it was before? Is something else going on? You know, it's like, it has Thanks those for the mental picture, Osma. Thanks for the mental well, picture. You know, that's what it's supposed to look like. Like, it's nice. So, yeah. It's not supposed to be dried and shriveled, ladies. It's, it's not, not supposed, supposed to be dried and shriveled. And shriveled. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, mo- moisture, yeah. lubrication, moisture, like yes. those are other benefits of yes. steaming is that we see increased lubrication. We see increased circulation. Mm-hmm. And that can be really helpful when people are experiencing either pain, discomfort, dryness, or just a lack of sensation. That's something that a yeah, lot of women, right. like they they don't feel sensation at all. And what I do find, though, is that many doctors, because they've never heard of it, they're like, don't even get near it. Don't touch mm. it. Oh, that was Stay me. away when from people it. people DM'd mm-hmm. us, I was like, no, absolutely no, not until <laughs> mm-hmm. I started reading about it. I was like, oh, okay. So this is a thing that women have been doing for centuries. And the fact that it's so cross-cultural globally yes. tells you that our original mother probably taught this to our original, you know, our original, like I'm going back to Hawa because I just take everything back to Hawa because I'm like, I wonder if she did this, you know? Like that's just what it makes me think. Like all these people do it across the world. Hey listeners, Mommy One Muslim is bringing you yet another retreat. In fact, our retreats have birthed their own name now. Fill up your cup retreats or F-U-Y-C. We're kind of proud of that one. Women carry everything for everyone all of the time and we know we can't pour from an empty cup. So we've curated an F-U-Y-C retreat in Dallas, Texas this February 17th through the 19th at a private retreat center. The theme being introspection in seclusion. We have limited beds available for the entire weekend experience, including room board and activities fostering introspection. That is being okay, being alone with just ourselves, such as yoga, thicker circles, guided meditation, spa services, hijama, and of course, in the company of women who are doing the same thing alongside us, filling up their cups by loving the space they fill and embracing their God-given missions, whatever those might be. We expect attendees will find both there. Can't stay the whole weekend but crave some time to recharge and repurpose yourself? Get a day pass that also includes food and activities for the day, and of course all attendees get some practical and fancy swag to take home and hopefully continue filling their cups. See y'all there. Aside from the womb steaming for, um, you know, uh, uterine and vaginal health, uh, vulvar health. As moms, whether we're in the conception phase or for those of us who are out of the conceptual stage, what kind of activities, practices are going to help lead to womb wellness? Because yes. that womb, those of us who carry it into the grave, you know, it can cause problems. It has changing issues just with our, as our changing bodies do. So what do we do to optimize that, that health? I think the the one thing that gets overlooked a lot is just resting during the period. This idea mm. that you just keep bleeding and carry on, it's not really compatible with the work that you're doing internally. Like if you imagine you've created tissue, you're shedding lining, you're flushing out, you know, your your uterine walls are, are shedding and all of this is going on and we just pop some pain pills and mm-hmm. keep going. Um, so I think that that really silencing of the womb is one of the ways that we, we get so disconnected and we don't even tune in like, wow, what is happening with this period? I'm experiencing this pain. What is that telling me about my need to rest or slow down. I think that's something we avoid a lot is just 
giving ourselves permission to act like we're bleeding <laughs> and uh, kind of calm down a little bit, you know. Um, and the other area that we neglect a lot is not seeing the connection between how we eat, how we live and how yes. we experience our period. It's mm-hmm. we assume that our period is in this one box and this is how it's going to be. But the foods that we eat can impact our our period you know if we're having warm foods and warm teas then we'll probably notice less cramping Mm. um less brown blood less kind of signs of stagnation less clotting because you're increasing that circulation and that's what we see often is that when women start to steam they start to see their period starting and ending with red blood they tend to see less clotting they feel less cramping the response is really noticeable however when we're instead re- reaching for cold foods and in eastern medicine this is a big deal mm-hmm. cold foods what do cold foods do they slow down our blood flow flow they increase stagnation and sometimes we'll see that as more clotting more cramping more brown blood because there's just less warmth going to the abdomen going to the uterus so that's so interesting. That's so interesting because everything that I've been reading on my wellness journey, I used to love like ice cold water, you know, just for sipping it. And they're like room temperature or hot water. You should be sipping because actually counterintuitively, you think I'm sipping this ice cold water all day long. You're actually dehydrating yourself, not hydrating mm-hmm. yourself. It's the, the the room temperature water and the warm water that's helping you stay hydrated. So because essentially you're peeing it out, right? Versus it actually hydrating your body. So the fact that you're even saying this, um, it makes logical sense to me. I do have to say I'm a little, I have to read a little bit more about it because I think that's more of like that Chinese or Eastern philosophy that are the Ayurvedic type of the cold and what, um, cold and hot type of foods and energies and things like that. So I, I, I definitely resonate with that. Um, you know, I have a teen daughter. Uzma has an almost a budding teen daughter. A lot of us actually have teen daughters. And as you know, when they either first start their period or about to start their periods, it, it they're just all wacky, to be honest with you. Um, and some of them have heavy periods. I know um, when my daughter got hers, I think she got it like one time, didn't get it again for a year, and then have it. So it takes a long time to get regular. Um, and so that that cramping, that heavy period, you know, as they're regulating it. And by the way, it's on both spectrums in the beginning and towards the end, because I'm towards the end as, as, as well. What are some things that you can kind of share if you were to like sum it up in three to five this is what I would do to kind of help um, minimize or the, the stress on your body during these times. What would you suggest for us? I definitely would suggest um, giving space for your daughters to rest when they're on their period, right? This expectation that you keep up with the same workload, the same chore load, the same training physically if they're doing team sports. Oh, that's true. It, It is very demanding. So actually creating space for them to rest, um, introducing them to herbal teas that are supportive, especially if you have heavy bleeders, then Mm -hmm. there are teas that are anti-hemorrhagic. So by nature, what they help to do is decrease blood flow in the body. And so these would be herbs like yarrow, for example. Mm. By its nature, it helps to stop bleeding. Um, You have herbs like mugwort. Um, I think also cinnamon has a similar quality. Mm -hmm. So um, encouraging them to to really engage with um, herbal teas if they're, you know, if they're open to trying that. And also really protecting their night rest as well yes. and make and making sure they're eating enough that's another thing especially mm-hmm. with teens they don't have the best eating habits and it yeah. does stress our bodies 
it does put a strain on our hormonal wellness when we're not keeping our blood sugar steady, we're not eating consistent meals, we're skipping meals, we're grabbing Pop-Tarts or something. Yes. You know, that that was my generation, Pop-Tarts for breakfast. Yes. I used to break my fast with Pop-Tarts. And I think about that now and I'm like, How? what the heck was I thinking? Like a, That's like a blood sugar rush that you do not need. But yeah, that's so funny that you mentioned Pop-Tarts because I used to break it with the Pop-Tart. It was hard to eat Pop-Tarts because a lot of Pop-Tarts, the frosting has yes. had gelatin in it or the inside had gelatin in it. So you had to find the one that like didn't have any lard. I didn't like, I didn't like the, um, the ones with the frosting. No, we did. And it was the, Ugh, we had a store, the, the store chain in Texas is H-E-B. So they made their brand of Pop-Tarts gelatin-free, baby. Ooh. So yeah, it was like, it took me years to finally get this. Yeah, I'm going to have one of them. Yeah, good. <laughs> Though we're not advocating Pop-Tarts. And oh my God, I kept in school because my cramps were so bad. I'm falling on the ground. So now it all makes sense. The pieces are falling into place. But then we had our mom saying, get up off the floor. Don't let anybody yes. find out that you're the sick. Yeah, no, you're not allowed you're to talk about it. Yeah, This is a condition. This is not a disease. You're going to deal with this until you die. And it was like, that's mm -hmm. a lie. Because um, mm -hmm. eventually we hit the perimenopausal. Are, were you uh, done telling us about the teen situation and how to maximize teen health? Those are the main things the about teens. And, and, it, and if the mothers are open to it, what I find is that teens respond really well to steaming. They can steam. People will ask me, oh, do I have to be married? It's it's not an intrusive, invasive oh, yeah. thing. It's really just sitting over some warm water. Um, it doesn't burn. If it is burning you, then, you know, you're, you're not doing it right. Like steaming should feel pleasant. It should feel good when you sit over the steam. It should feel like a warm bath, like how you mm -hmm. sit in a warm bath and you, and you have that sigh of relief. That's how a steam session should feel. So what I find is that teenagers they'll steam like one time and it'll knock out their cramps they their bodies respond so quickly and i think it's just because they're still developing and they don't have mm -hmm. years of you know complicated ignored traumatic traumatic <laughs> or periods yeah their bodies respond so well so i'm actually writing a book for teens um a, a holistic period care guide for teens and i do introduce the topic of steaming because it really is a powerful tool and ally if their guardians will be supportive of it used appropriately yeah used appropriately so i'm going to be selfish and bring it back to us those of us who are perimenopausal <laughs> okay. yeah our postmenopausal sisters mm -hmm. like what is that peri postmenopausal womb in need of that we don't know to give her right now yeah that's an excellent question what i um would say is that you know as we are our ovaries are making less estrogen. Like we have to really draw upon other reserves of energy, right? Estrogen is a very life-giving, proliferating kind of hormone. And as that, that, that starts to deplete, we have to really rejuvenate ourselves with self-care, um, with hydrating ourselves well, you know, especially we're going to draw on our adrenals um, quite a bit as we get closer to menopause and rely on our, our other endocrine organs. And so um, definitely protecting our rest um, nourishing ourselves well and, and listening, setting those boundaries and, and, and prioritizing self-care, you know, especially those of us, you know, our children are a little bit older. Maybe we burn the candles at both ends, um, doing the mommying for young children. But as our, our children are getting older, it's time to 
replenish because we we put out a lot birthing them breastfeeding them creating them nurturing them mothering them waking up at nights with them so it's a time of deep replenishment so really paying attention to um, hydrating the self nourishing foods rest and um yeah so we don't want to be decrepit old women we want to <laughs> we want to be plump know? remember we, we talked about that we wanted to be steamed and yes. plumped ladies yes Exactly. I mean, if you're doing it and injecting stuff in your face and your not cheeks that kind and of all plumping, of that, yeah. yeah, not that kind of plumping, but like we care about like youthfulness yeah. that people can see, but this is a youthfulness for us that's important for us to feel good from the inside out. Yeah. And I think that is, that's always way more important than anything cosmetic. I feel like my wrinkles are like my badges of honor. Mm-hmm. Like I've acquired mm-hmm. these because of the experiences that I had. Our mothers used to say, these hairs haven't grayed in the sun, which was, you know, they had experience, you know? And I think for us, it's like the, the inside wellness coming out is way more beautiful than like wrinkleless yeah. skin. Cause wrinkle, mm-hmm. if you don't have wrinkles in your face, I probably don't trust you. I'll probably judge you and think that you're too young <laughs> for me to take seriously. <laughs> so. I think yeah. we focus on the yonis. <laughs> yeah, that, the, the, the yoni that, very yeah, that vitality. And especially even when I work with menopausal um, women, sometimes they're dealing with like hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy. Yeah. And, you know, in that case, we use very moisturizing herbs to help with that to kind of cool down that excess heat, mm. manage that. And then also to make sure they're feeling that that vaginal moisture you know it's not like I'm, I'm older I'm supposed to feel dry and uncomfortable no you just need a little bit more love and hydration in the right places yeah I have to learn more because the moisture part increasing the moisture sounds really awesome to a perimenopausal postmenopausal woman but in the back of my mind I'm thinking oh crap we yeast infections because we know yeast likes to grow where it's really moist but I mean this is going to be in the absence of any infection you're checking and yeah. then following up before and yeah. after treatments Mm-hmm. And what we do find is that women who struggle with recurring infections, steaming in the right way with the right herbs tends to help knock that out really well. And there is very limited research on steaming, but what we have seen mostly comes out of the East and it does show favorable um, like vaginal flora, pH after steaming and, and less likelihood of infections moving forward. So, so yeah, it just has to be done you know, well, and probably, probably with some guidance and support. So Zabo just sent me a link for a yoni steaming kit. Is this something <laughs> I was like, need to be? Ooh, ooh, she's going to go buy be it. So this. before people start doing that, Chantel, can yes. you uh, tell us what your recommendations are for somebody who's actually considering doing steaming? Is there a practitioner they need to go find, yes. like we talked about mm. earlier, or is it safe to go buy a yoni steaming kit yourself and do it at home? Um, my advice on the kits is like stay away from plastic. Don't mm. if anyone if anyone is telling you to do your yoni steaming and like a sits seat like a sits bath seat or a plastic device which is we that don't plastic wanna... hat you put in the toilet after you mm-hmm. have surgery which, yeah which might be fine for warm water but we're talking about boiled water oh, and plastic mm-hmm. is, that's too is close not... to the yoni ladies yes <laughs> too close too too high too close and it's plastic right we would we would rather okay. use a, a non-plastic um container definitely don't buy the buy one size fits all kind of herbs online because we all have different mental I don't think cycles. my hoop, my butt can fit on the size one fits all. <laughs> oh, even category. I'm talking about 
I'm talking about the herbs. Oh, you're talking about so, the herbs. I'm like, how am I going to You're sit? still on the bed. Like, I'm still <laughs> trying to sit on the seat, okay? I'm nervous. These seats look small as I'm looking at them online. <laughs> no, the herb so selection. The herbs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you want to, at least initially, find a practitioner. There's an entire directory on steamychick.com. Um, it's, the, it's the largest training institute. Um, to like maintain the safe practice of steaming um, in the world. And so there's trained, there's over a thousand trained professionals um, around the world. And um, I would say just reach out to just get a sense of what's going on with you. If you're a person who has tendencies towards really short menstrual cycles, then you wouldn't use the same herbs herbs Mm. as someone who has really long menstrual cycles. Or if you have tendencies towards infections, that's going to be different from a person who has tendencies towards dryness. And, you know, there's some nuance there. So a least initially reach out to a practitioner or start with something very basic like just water if you just want to try it out and see how it feels mm-hmm. you can sit over just water and see how that how you respond to that how it feels to you and that alone can be enough to just you know increase some blood flow and circulation and if you want to go any further then you can reach out to someone and say hey this is what my period is like this is what I'm experiencing what kind of herbs would you recommend so something I want to say for people like myself um, and probably Uzma as more of a quote unquote traditional um, medicine or medical practitioners, but I am reading an article right now um, that's by the Cleveland Clinic, by the way. So we know this is a reputable um, medical journal and they're essentially saying um, this practice is a new vaginal steaming has been around for um, centuries. It is it helps with increased energy, reduce stress, balance hormone. And if this is literally in the hot seat, it's saying that it is actually um, a good practice and under the right circumstances. So, um, you know, I was a little leery. Like I have to say, I got the notes we and I was like, really skeptical. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure about this. Um, just the thought of hot water about, about my, like, I am not sure, but I do have to say like it balances hormones, detoxifies the uterus, faster recovery after childbirth, hemorrhoid relief for those of us who suffer. Um, yeah. Um, increased energy. And by the way, fewer headaches. I'm not quite sure how the two have anything to do with each other, but they've been found to have um, some scientific evidence and stress and depression relief. So I definitely say, you know, try when in doubt, try it out. And um, thank you so much for sharing this. Um, Uzma, did you want to do hot top? What is it? Yeah, we're going to get into rapid fire. I I was like so much to read. I was like, oh my God, like I'm writing things down. I'm like the steaming. I'm like, whoa, this is exciting. We have talked in the past about hot foods in certain cultures and (laughs) traditions. So a lot in the East, Far East, and as well as um, Latin cultures, they have the hot cold food concepts that go back to any of our episodes with a nutritionist or a dietitian. And we have touched on those in the past. And I think um, in our culture in South on the subcontinent, there's also like the hot cold foods as well as hot cold herbs. So while black seed is like the cure for everything but death in the Muslim tradition, it is a hot herb. So you want to be careful 
around your periods and stuff. So those that was the spice. There were certain spices that my mom mm-hmm. was like, lay off of that food during your period or your postpartum mm-hmm. period because those are hot. You're not allowed to have it. I think saffron was one of those things too. Mm-hmm. So um, good to look back at those episodes. But rapid fire we do to get to know you personally a little bit uh, better. These are fun yeah. questions. There's no right answer. Literally the first one that hits the top of your head, that okay. is the correct answer. And I put 90 seconds on the clock and I ask you, Anything that I flip through and it like strikes my fancy on this list. But we always kick off by asking, what book are you reading right now? The Walking Court N by mm. Dr. Bilal Weir. Ah, interesting. Okay, so I'm going to have to do that one. Um, the next question I have is, because I'm a Harry Potter nerd, what Hogwarts house are you? Oh, dear. I think if you don't know Harry Potter, then we can skip this. My one. daughter does. I don't know what my house would be. I know hers. She's Gryffindor. Okay. <laughs> She's Gryffindor. Okay. I love her already. Um, if you could have an unlimited supply of one thing, what would it be? Coconut oil. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, you could do it for yeah. everything. It's like you got a bird, put some coconut oil you on it. it. You, you need some this, on, put some coconut yeah. oil on it. It really yeah. is the miracle oil. Yeah. I, that's a great one. I've used coconut oils on vulvas too during delivery mm-hmm. for a patient's request. Yeah. Yep. We also did put it in some other places she wanted. So it was very interesting, but okay. What's your favorite season as we're ending our long winter? Fall. Fall. Oh my gosh. We're all autumn girls. I love it. Yeah. Whether you call it fall or whether you call, call it autumn, I think it's the best season ever. Um, what habit holds you back the most? Mm. Ooh, good one. Um, overthinking. I love it. Isn't that every mom everywhere? This is why we need mothering so much, guys. Okay. What is your impulse buy at the store? Whether it's Target or the dollar store. Ooh, my impulse buy. You see it, you gotta buy it. Ooh, um, chocolate. Dark chocolate. Ooh, dark yum. chocolate. Okay. I don't turn Mine's down dark stationary. chocolate. Mm, that was that was coming. The journal was in my head the too. A little notebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what time of day are you most inspired? Bef- uh, just after Fudger. No, a little bit before Fudger. <laughs> a little bit before Fudger. That's what I was yeah. going to say. All right. Mm-hmm. And that, we went a little bit over time, but I'm not sorry about it at all. And I'm so glad that you came on to talk to us about <laughs> womb wellness today. It is just tying into our sex and wellness month, which is February. Mm-hmm. Everybody's yes. tuning in and they're all going to want to know about womb steaming. We'll have your contacts and social as well as steamy chick institute on our show notes for people to look up and find a certified is it called womb facilitator um it would be a steaming facilitator a A vaginal steaming facilitator facilitator. yeah and you can can, find somebody who's certified and i just have two things that every woman needs to really know your period should not be painful if you're in debilitating Mm. pain reach out for help and sex should never be painful i don't care if you're menopausal or postpartum Mm -hmm. or first time sex please reach out for support and do not accept painful sex. Mm, yes. Pain is never normal. Pain is <laughs> yes, never normal. It is a exactly. sign that mm-hmm. does should, deserves not to be masked by pills and like just slap on bandages, get yes. to the literal bottom of it in this case mm-hmm. <laughs> and figure out why it's happening. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Everyone. Well, it's it's like everybody. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Osman Momming while Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. 
Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy Wellness Islam. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.